excited about tonight. Um, we've come to the end of our At the Movie Summer series, and I'm just kind of blown away about where summer went. Uh, it seems like it just started. It seems like we were just getting into our first movies. And, you know, um, it's the last weekend of August, and next week is Labor Day. Uh, next week, we get to do our night of worship where we're going to be here on Saturday night and just uh, be a little bit different format. And we're going to have a time of communion, a time of worship, a time of just just uh, being able to share together and be able to worship God and be able to go out on Sunday morning and, and, uh, and be the church. Uh, and the following week will be our fall kickoff. Um, we're going to have Saturday night, we're going to have a tailgate party. We're going to encourage you guys to wear your football jerseys or whatever jersey you really want to wear uh, for that. And uh, it'll be a lot of fun. We're going to uh, also be kicking off a new series on identity and uh, just talking about finding clarity in a world of obscurity. I'm not sure if you know that the world's a little bit muddy and cloudy out there. And we're going to try and find some identity, uh, uh, some, some solid foundation for our identity. And we're going to start that, and I'm excited really for, for everything that's going to come. But, but today we're going to talk about our final movie of the summer, Fantastic Four. Now, can I ask you, did, did anybody see Fantastic Four? Well, Camden did because he went with me. Uh, anybody else? Okay. I'm sorry that you had to waste your money on that because it, was a, it wasn't a good movie. It, it really wasn't. It was, uh, it was boring. It was, uh, like for a superhero movie, you're expecting some superhero stuff, and it was just, it was just boring. I mean, I wouldn't even waste time at the dollar theater. Thankfully, uh, I had a friend that, uh, that got me four tickets. They had a Century Lake uh, private screening thing, and he said, hey, you got four tickets here if you want to take it. I can't go, so I had Cameron bring a couple of his buddies, and we went and saw it. So I got to see it for free and kind of walked out and went, you know, so-so. Uh, uh, and of course, you hear all the things, and you read reviews, and you look at all that, and they said the same thing. Yeah, so-so. The one thing that, that was in it that I saw, though, was the message we're going to talk about tonight, and that really is about trust. And as we, we look at trust and working together for the common goal, as in most superhero movies that have multiple superheroes in it, like an Avengers or something like that, they, they come to the point where they realize they can't do it on their own and they have to work together to reach the goal that they want to do. They have to re- work together to overcome the things they have to overcome. And as I, I see it, I thought, you know, that is a lesson for the church. And I don't mean just our church, I mean the church, working together, individually speaking as our individuals that, that make up the body of Christ, and then churches working together. You know, I, I was glad to hear Jerome pray for other congregations and, and what they're doing and, and how God is using them to reach out to the community. Because guess what? We have a big goal that's in front of us. Our goal that we've been called to by Christ is to go change the world. Well, as a small church uh, on Northern Boulevard in the middle of a of Rio Rancho, New Mexico, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a huge goal. But the thing is, is we, were, uh, we do a, a prayer thing uh, on Thursdays, and we've been going up over here on Loma, Colorado. Uh, that thing that's on the top, I don't even know what the purpose is for it. Uh, if you know Loma, Colorado, there's like a, I don't amphitheater, but not. I don't know exactly what it is. And it's up there on the top, and it kind of overlooks the city. And we said, you know, let's start gathering together and just praying literally over our city. And we got up there at 6 o'clock, and the sun hadn't quite come up yet, and it was cloudy on Thursday, and, and there was lights all around. You could see all the Albuquerque, and you could see the, the lights that were all around. I was looking at the light that lit the path that was right there, and I said, you know, this light is doing its job. It's not lighting up the entire city, but it's doing its job right where it needs to. But every light, as you worked, watched it work all together, it was lighting up the entire city. And that's what we have to remember as individuals, as churches, that we are working together for a common goal to go and change the world. So whether you go to our church or go to another church or whatever it might be, I'm praying that if they are a Bible-believing gospel-centered church, that they want to see that gospel, that good news, go forth and change this world. We're all on the same team. And, you know, this week I, I, um, I was uh, scrolling through Facebook and a friend, I, you know, we all have friends on Facebook, a friend had posted uh, a thing about why their church doesn't sing contemporary music. And it was this whole blasting of churches who actually sang contemporary mu- music. And I'm like, no, well, that's not the reason why you sing hymns only. You're saying why you don't and, and making everybody else look bad for doing it. And it really kind of infuriated me just a little bit because one of the things that you see when teams happen is when, when there's fighting that goes on from between. 
And in me, if you want to sing hymns only, great. I loved hearing how great thou art. Um, although when I sing it, I generally sing how great you are because I don't talk in King James. Uh, so I, I figure I might as well not sing in it either or pray in it like my grandfather used to do. I'd always be like, wait, why do you pray with these and thous? It doesn't make any sense to me. You don't talk like that, but you're talking to God like that. And we would get into fun arguments, you know, grandparents. And um, we, would, we would talk about that, but... As, we, as I saw it and I saw all these people say, oh, no, you have to do it this way. No, there's different strokes for different folks. As long as you're, you're a gospel-centered, reaching out and telling people about Jesus, that's it. We work together with those who are extremely conservative and those who are extremely charismatic, and we're working together to reach the world for Christ. We're all on the same team. And like any team sport, there's different people to fill different positions and different jobs. You guys know that I'm a... Green Bay Packers fan. And if you don't, now you do. And, and the, uh, in, a, in a few weeks, NFL season's going to kick off. But last Sunday, last Sunday, we took a, a serious blow. Jordy Nelson tore his ACL. And if you don't know who Jordy Nelson is, he's one of the best receivers in the league, uh, personally speaking. But uh, fantasy football speaking, you know, those kind of things like that. And, and in that, he, he tore his ACL, and now he's going to fall back in Packer Nation. I'll tell you what, people are there's fans and then there's Packer fans. And, and maybe you're in that same kind of realm of whatever team you follow. But people are like foaming at the mouth about football starting. And now that life is over. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's one player out of 22 who play on a regular basis, plus the other guys on the team, plus everything else, that somebody has to step up and fill that role. And yeah, he's going to be missed just like anybody would be missed on any team if they stepped out. But he's not the team. It's, it's not about the individual, it's about the team. And it hurts the whole team when something happens like that, but somebody steps up and has to do it. Same thing, when one falls, uh, somebody else has to step up and do it. And if two people get in a fight, I'm not sure if you've watched that. I love watching training camp fights. It always seems to happen with the Cowboys. I don't know why. Maybe there's just a bad attitude that flows in that, that, that team or something like that. But they're always in fights with each other. And I'm like, wait a second. You're on the same team. You're going after the same goal. Whether it be you're going for the Super Bowl or you're going to go change the world, whatever it might be, you're on the same team with the same goal. And we have to understand our roles. And it happens just as much in the church as it does out there in those team sports. And the foundation of this team, this teamwork, whether it be in the movies, whether it be Avengers, whether it be fantasy, uh, uh, Fantastic Four, whether it be um, in, in our teams here, the, the little kids that are out playing Yaffle today, whether it be on the mission field, we're all on the same team. And that teamwork starts with trust. Trust. I'm not sure if you guys uh, were here last week. We had a blast. A little bit of 80s uh, fun. Um, people were dressed up. People had a lot of Aquanet. Um, there was some high karate aftershave. There's all kind, it, was, it was nice. And we even had a guy come in a members-only jacket on Sunday morning. It was, it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. With fluffy hair. Jerome even did his hair in kind of a flock of seagulls little thing. It was, it was a lot of fun. And as we talked about the 80s, we kind of look back to things. Well, well, tonight I want to look back on a couple of things as well, and I'll make some flashbacks to the 80s because I just couldn't cram enough into last week for you. So uh, how many of you guys have heard of a guy named Stephen Covey? How about Franklin Covey? Anybody ever heard of Franklin Covey? Remember daytimers? Anybody have a daytimer? Before you had that thing on the phone called a calendar that you had to fold open the daytimer and actually handwrite something into something like that? And most of the time I'd forget that I wrote it in there and then Christy didn't know and it'd be a big mess and it was all kinds of stuff. But that, that guy, he, he wrote a book as well called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And this is what he said about teams. Without trust, we don't truly collaborate. We merely coordinate or at best cooperate. It is trust that transforms a group of people into a team. And I think all relationships start with trust. Looking at Fantastic Four, it was about trust. And the funny thing, Michelle and I were talking beforehand, and I guess the movie was just not good from the very beginning. Even the director, before it came out, said in a tweet, this is a horrible movie. And I'm like, wait, what? And, and it was a lot of fighting, a lot of in, you know, behind the scenes, nobody was getting along. And you could actually see it play itself out in the acting of the movie, that people just weren't getting along. There just wasn't the heart and stuff there. But all relationships are built on trust, whether it be an inter individual relationship, whether it be the relationship with your spouse, whether it be even your relationship with God or a group or a community, even our country. 
There's a relationship of trust that has to be there. And when you have a lack of trust, it affects everything else. I'm not sure if you've watched the news this week, uh, but some big things happened this week in the area of trust. A website, I will not mention it, you may or may not know already, but a website uh, was hacked. And in the process of it being hacked, it, oh, how do I put this softly? It exposed people who were sneaking around in order to have extramarital affairs. And you see this thing called trust that people obviously were trusting him at one point that has been affected. As a matter of fact, I read an article this week from Relevant Magazine, which is a, a Christian magazine that kind of keeps up with popular trends. 400 pastors tomorrow will be resigning from their church for being exposed on this website. It crushed me. Because who do you trust? I hope you trust me. As a matter of fact, I had a meeting with a guy this week, and as we were sitting there and we were talking, he handed me a receipt, like, a, like something that a, a waiter or waitress would write down your order on, like in a fast, fast kind of diner restaurant. And it had on it, I opened it up, and it said, can I trust you with me? New to the church, want to kind of check it out, want to kind of feel it out, want to build that trust. And I thought, I think everybody who comes into a church asks that question of the pastor. Can I trust you with me? Can I trust you with my family? Will you lead in a way that is exactly righteous? And when I think of those 400, how many people they let down, how many people they have to go in front of and say, man, my trust with you is broken. It hurts to think about it. And all relationships are built on trust. Patrick Lencioni is a well-known leadership expert, and he wrote a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. You'll see up here there's a pyramid. This pyramid is built on the bottom. Do you see what that is? Building from the bottom up, it's trust. It's trust. There's five steps in the five dysfunctions of a team that if it's not going right, and this could be a team of two people, a marriage team. This could be a team, a football team. This could be a church. Any one of those things fall into this. And the bottom of the pyramid says, this is the first thing that we see when a team gets dysfunctional. That is the absence of trust. If people don't trust each other, they can't be honest with each other. They can't be honest with each other. They can't display their weaknesses to each other. They can't have criticism because they're going to be afraid of it. And in the process of that, they're not going to tap into other people on the team and they're not going to be vulnerable. So they're not going to really take ownership, which is going to lead to the second thing, which is the fear of conflict. They're going to be afraid to have that conflict because they're thinking that somebody's going to say something to them, somebody's going to do something to them. And you know what? Healthy debates are great for growth. Because ideas come together, and when those ideas come together, God uses that and expands and it grows what it is. But when nobody wants to have those debates because they're afraid of that, because they don't trust the other person and how they're going to respond, it creates problems, which moves up to the next level, a lack of commitment. If there's a lack of trust and people are afraid of, of conflict, they're not going to commit fully to the project. Whatever that project is, whether it be the Super Bowl or whether it be going to change the world, or in a few years, two years away, we're moving out of this building. We signed the lease for two more years, and in those two years, we got to figure out where we're going and why we're going. And if people don't trust to begin with and don't trust the leadership and don't come alongside and don't have input and don't have those things, and they're afraid of conflict, and they're not going to be committed to it, well, we're going to be spiraling if nobody's committed to it. So as we push forward, what are we going to do? How can we commit, be committed to the end result? Well, you have to take ownership. But you're not going to take ownership if you have a fear of conflict. You're not going to take ownership if you're at the bottom of the pyramid without trust. That leads to number four, they avoid accountability. Because if you don't care about the goal, you're not going to take ownership. Well, you're not going to be accountable for the way everything goes. You'll just step away and say, as long as it doesn't hurt me. And every team does that. You know, when a team is flailing in the middle of a season... And the wide receiver gets on and he starts yelling about the coach or starts yelling about the quarterback. And, and there's all this, instead of looking at the team and focusing on the team, they go to media, they go to social media, and they start tearing into each other. There's an avoidance of accountability. It's not about me anymore. I'm not the one that's causing the problems. Everybody else is causing the problems, which then leads to inattention to results. Because nobody cares. 
Nobody cares about the group. They only care about themselves. And that's all started with what? Trust. And you know what? Like I said, you see that in a team, but can you see that in a marriage as well? Can you see that in your relationship with God? If there is no trust that everything else begins to fall apart, those inattention to details, it happens in a business, it happens in a friendship, and yeah, it even happens in a church. And honestly, what gets the ball rolling? What's the foundation for it all? It is trust. That word, trust. And when you see that word, trust, right there in front of you, we struggle with it. We as a church, we as individuals who make up God's church, we have a big goal, like I said, in front of us. But what are we going to do? How are we going to get there? When we're looking at the end goal, are we looking at the end goal of a building? Well, if that's the end goal, we're missing it. Because when that building's built, then what? We just stop and say, all right, well, we got it. We did what we needed to do. No, there's so much more to it. We need to be on board, but it all starts with trust. And how can we do our jobs if we don't trust each other? How can we do what God's called us to do if we don't actually trust that he knows what he's called us to do? How often do we look at God and say, God, are you sure? Are you sure? Because as we see it, we look at ourselves, we look at churches, we look at all the different things, and instead of, I think the big problem with churches in general is, and and people within the churches is, is that people aren't as interested in changing the world as they are as being called or pointed out as the person who changed the world. You know what I mean? Instead of actually going and doing, they just want the fame and glory of actually seeing it happen at the end. Because there's dirty work that takes place in the midst of it. There's dirty work of getting your hands in with people who are in the middle of the mess and pulling them out and discipling them and bringing them along and seeing their world change and then their world changes and then somebody else's world that's close to them because they saw what happened. That is not sexy. I don't know if I can use that word or not. That is not, that is not pretty, but it's necessary. It's not the, the thing that, that writes all the books and says, this is how we did it. Look at me, I'm going to write it all down. No, it is the people, the army on the ground doing the job. And it's them working together. As a matter of fact, John Maxwell, maybe you've heard of him before, he wrote a book called 17 Principles of a Good Team Player. He said this, working together precedes winning together. Working together precedes winning together. Together we trust. Together we lean on each other. Together we understand that some people have this job and some people have this job, but both jobs are necessary to move forward. And we see this all play out. And we realize that it really isn't about us. It really isn't about us, that the team doesn't exist for the member, but the member exists for the team. When we grasp that and hold on to that, we realize who the coach really is and who we need to be trusting and the direction we need to be going. When I say coach, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do you see what that says there? In all of your ways, acknowledge him. Don't lean on your own understanding. How many of you have had this argument with God? But God, you really don't know me. That is a dumb argument if you've had it. I've had it. That's how come I know it's a dumb one. Because he knows me better than I know me. He knows the direction. He knows the plan that he has for me. He knows everything. He says, just trust me. And I say, but you're not really here. You're just a up there in the clouds, strumming a harp. You know, that, that's you. That, and, and that's the picture that we get. We forget that he is here. He is in the midst. And we're supposed to acknowledge him in all of our ways. And he'll make our path straight. Trust. It's a big word. It's a foundation for every relationship. And here's how it works in every relationship. Just a quick little overview. The first thing you see, if, as you build trust in a relationship, the first thing you're going to see is connection. You're going to have connection. Connection motivates us to invest the time necessary to build trust. That's why we do connection groups here at the church. You know what? As great as it is to get together on a Saturday night or as great as it is to get together on a Sunday morning, when you're a group of 8 to 12 and you're able to talk to each other and build that relationship, it's so much easier. You know what? I would love to have one-on-one with all of you. But even if I spent 10 minutes with everybody, half of my week would be eaten up. And that's only 10 minutes. 
How do you connect with other people within the church and understand the goals and understand the things? It starts with connection, but then it moves to, in our trust, caution. Caution. We move forward slowly as not to get hurt. We're aware of the other people. We watch the other people. We do different things. I'm not sure if you are on this or not, but there's a, a kind of a more localized social network called uh, Nextdoor, and it's about, uh, uh, it's an app for your phone, and it, it talks about um, things that are going on in your neighborhood. And you actually sign up for specific neighborhoods, and as you sign up for specific neighborhoods, you find out what's going on, whether it be Rio Rancho Police will post on it and say, hey, this is what's going on in your neighborhood. Um, People will put garage sales. People put lost dogs. People put, so it's, it's a very uh, central area thing. Well, somebody posted today because it comes in, it just comes into my email, and I saw it and it said, hey, we just moved to the area and we need a babysitter for tonight. Can somebody who has a teenager send a call this number and we have a four, a six-year-old and an 18-month-old? And I went, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of trust. That person should come and speak the message for me tonight because they got it way better than I do. I have caution. I'm going to move slowly and watch people before I invite them over to my house to watch my kids. One, for their own safety. Two, for mine. Okay? Because cause that's just kind of the way it goes. But that, that, the second part, we have caution. And, you know, if somebody breaks our trust, it kind of comes back to this one, too. Going back to caution. The third thing is it leads to consistency. See, consistency, it reduces the caution. The more often you're together, the more you can trust somebody. And this is in any relationship, and it moves forward that way, and it allows us to take that next step, and that next step is courage. That's when you put your faith on the line. That's when you put your heart on the line. That's when you put your money on the line if it's a, it's a business investment. And as we see that play out, we're willing to assume risk now. We've made it into the relationship where we can assume that risk, and it leads to the final one, which is commitment. And the level of commitment that we have will define the level of our relationship. How well are you in your relationship with that other person is really determined on how committed you are to that relationship. But how do we even get started? How do we even get there? Because there's two things that, that make it hard for us to start to trust. And those two things are this, what you've seen and who you are. What you've seen and who you are. See, somebody said they're going to do something and they don't do it. That immediately leads me to say, the next time, they're probably not going to do it. Or it'll build itself up and we'll see that play itself out. And as it does, we learn not to trust. But the second thing is, maybe it's how you grew up. Maybe it's the people that have influenced your life that you're very cautious because you know people. Or maybe it's the job that you work within. You know, even Teresa, as you say, no way. It's because you work with people that are like crazy like that kind of stuff. And, and you're on that side dealing with offenders and those kind of things. Yeah, no way am I going to let that happen because there's a... There's a trust thing that, that we see and we're influenced in all of that. And maybe, maybe you're that person that's having a hard time with trust. This message isn't going to be easy for you. It wasn't easy for me to, to write it out and lay it out and see it all take place. But, you know, as a Christian, the Bible is very specific about how trust should work, how love should work. Because isn't even trust the beginning of love that we're going to lay our heart out there and step forward with the courage after the consistency and love begins to take place? As we see that, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to just open up to 1 Corinthians 13. And I know you're like, wait a second, we're talking about trust, and you went to 1 Corinthians 13. What's 1 Corinthians 13? What chapter is that? Does anybody know? The love chapter, that's right. The love chapter, and we see that play out, and maybe you've even had it be a part of your wedding ceremony. Maybe there was something in it. Maybe that's the only thing you remember about your wedding ceremony, because everything else was just a blur, and then you went to the cake, and then you went, and then uh, the next day. Uh, and, uh, you know, the 1 Corinthians 13 it talks about it. It's the love chapter that lays it all out there. But, but Paul talks about love. And he, he, we'll use an 80s flashback on this one. Do you want to know what love is? I want you to show me. A little foreigner, anybody? And, and the, you, know, you see that and it plays out. And we, we just want an answer in a sentence. He gives a full description of what love is. But I want you to see at the end of his love, he bumps it right into trust. You see it wrap itself in with trust. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, but I'm going to kind of hop over the NIV because I like the, the both phrasings in it all. So in the ESV, starting in verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, it says this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. 
It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. The NIV says there it keeps no records of wrongs. When we have trust issues, when we have love issues, what generally is the problem? It's we've kept records of wrongs, isn't it? It's because our arrogance has gotten in the way. It's because we boast about what we've done and not about there. It's not rude. These are the things he's laying out there. He goes into verse 6. He says, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. That's a, that's a big word there, isn't it? Truth. Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Jesus himself called himself the truth. Our men's Bible study, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and we've literally gotten stuck on the belt of truth in Ephesians chapter 6. Because the belt of truth talks about wrapping everything up and holding everything together. And we said, what is truth? And when we look at truth and we say it rejoices with the truth, how often in our relationship, how often in our relationship with trust, how often in our relationship with love, does truth or our version of truth skew the way we view that relationship? How often does it put a filter on us that we see things different than they're actually true because we believe something and we've convinced ourselves in our mind that that is the truth? And we go after somebody thinking that they're going to do something wrong, so we watch them from that way instead of, like it says, not rejoicing in wrongdoing, but rejoices in what's right. And the fact that they're doing, as a matter of fact, that whole thing that happened with that website this week, uh, the guy who uh, is the pastor of a church called Triple X Church, it's an online church, and it's all, about, it's all about helping people through addictions and online addictions and all the things that go with it. The pastor of it has become very famous and, of course, always being attacked by, by people who are pro Triple X versus the other way. And, and they're always kind of pushing their thing on him and trying to catch him. He said, you know, I'm not even surprised anymore when people do things wrong. I'm more surprised when people do things right, and I celebrate it. He goes, I don't celebrate or get shocked when somebody falls, but when you look at somebody who's celebrating 25 years in marriage, 35 years in marriage, 50 years in marriage, he said, that is what surprises me because we live in such a corrupt world that has twisted the truth obscurity, as we're going to look at in a few weeks. Paul then writes this as he points his real thoughts to trust. He says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What's the word all mean? Everything. That's a, that's a pretty big statement. As a matter of fact, NIV says it always protects, always trusts, always hopes and always perseveres. That's love. That's love. It always trusts. It starts with trust. It starts with the hope, and it perseveres through the things that our minds might be telling us the truth that isn't. When it says the word always, I mean, that is, that's extreme. The word all and always, and if you think it's extreme, it's because it is, because Paul's trying to define the love that God has for us and the love that we are supposed to share with others is laid out right here. And that's what he's trying to say, that it's extreme. Love bends. It leans into. It's always looking for an opportunity to give a person the benefit of the doubt. That's perseverance. It's always trying to protect the integrity of the relationship, even if you have to do a lot of work to make it happen. We want to keep these relationships. It's always trusting. It's always right there. It always hopes. It's not giving up. It's always persevering, pushing forward. So I'm just going to bend in your direction. I'm going I'm to lean into you and help you out in that. And I want to give you three statements that, that, that really summarize the whole idea here. And as we see these three statements, they're going to be ones that you kind of go, huh, and maybe hurt just a little bit. But the first one is, is that love gives the other person the benefit of the doubt. Love gives the other person the benefit of the doubt. When there's a dilemma, when there's a dis discrepancy between what is promised and what actually happens, love gives the person the benefit of the doubt. How often do we give people the benefit of the doubt? How often are we waiting for them to fail? The second thing is this. Love looks for the most generous explanation for the other person's behavior. Because you know what? When their behavior does that, when there is that discrepancy, there's this thing that forms and it's a gap. And what fills that gap determines your relationship. 
It determines your relationship because it, it'll affect it. It'll twist it. It'll tweak it. It will filter it. Whatever you might want to use in there, it fills in there. We look for the most generous explanation to fill that gap for the person's behavior. Instead of jumping to conclusions of other possibilities, we look for a generous explanation. We try to give them, once again, the benefit of the doubt. And the third statement is this. Love chooses trust over suspicion. Trust over suspicion. Let me illustrate for it this way. In every relationship, in every relationship, there is this, this mix that takes place. There is, there is all these things, whether it be at work or our government or home in the neighborhood, whatever it might be. Even if you're just a coach with the Little League team, there's expectations that come in a relationship, and, and that's what we expect. And then there's the actual experience. There's the actual experience. Let me just put it this way. There is, uh, you expect somebody to be home at 8. They come home at 10. Expectation, 8. Experience, 10. What fills in those two hours? Doubt. Not the benefit of the doubt, doubt. Not trust, suspicion. And generally, not always, but generally, do we fill in with that doubt and that suspicion things that didn't even really happen? We start to convince ourselves in a way that something greater happened than this. And the thing is, when there's a gap, we choose what goes in that gap. We're the ones that decide that goes in that gap. It's us that makes that decision. We don't talk to them about it. We just assume. We jump into something, and that's when Paul says here, love comes to trust and persevere and work through it and hope and put these positive things in. We have a tendency to fill it up with the negative. And there's gaps in every relationship, and every level of a relationship. There's gaps between what we expect and what we experience. And we choose what goes in there. So you have far more power in deciding how you're going to respond than I think you think you can. And maybe you're going, oh, wait, 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 Matt. You don't know my situation. You're right, I don't. However, when we get into a situation, when we get into a place when you say, you don't know my father-in-law, you don't know my brother-in-law, you don't know that last family vacation I had to take, you don't know, and you fill in the blank, you can't even preach this sermon. I'm going to get up and I'm going to share my story and your sermon's over. You know, that, that's, your, that's your, your thinking maybe in what's going on right now. I want you just to give me a minute as you fill in that gap. Because what we fill in that gap, we can fill it in with the best rather than assuming the worst. We can fill it in with all the things positive that push forward because it actually says researchers time and time and time again that don't believe in the Bible, that don't believe what Paul said, but yet just repeated what he said, say that when two people work hard at their relationship and go to ridiculous extremes, it makes their marriage better. It makes their relationships better. It's kind of a well-done statement, but that's what Paul's saying here. And what he says is exactly right. Love and trust, they believe all things, they protect at all costs, and they endure all things. They, they, they want to always trust and always be there. Because suspicion is an expression of rejection. Suspicion is an expression of rejection. So if you are suspicious about somebody, you're basically telling them that you're rejecting them. That you're rejecting the relationship. You're saying, I feel like I don't trust you and I'm suspicious of everything you're doing. How do you think the other person is going to respond? They're going to close up. Because when we are rejected, don't we naturally just close up? We don't continue to try and fight through it. We just say, oh, if that's the way you're going to be, I'm going to build my wall. I'm going to build my wall, and we're going to go two separate ways. You know how many times in marriage counseling I've had to go through people that have gone two separate ways, and it goes back to something of suspicion that wasn't even true? Because they put it in their mind and they put it in their hearts and they put it in their heads that this is the way it was. They filled the gap with something that wasn't even right. And now they're sitting in my office or where you're sitting at right now because I don't have an office. And, and the, the thing is, is we're sitting there and we're talking about it. We're walking through this and they go, oh, well, I guess if I would have just asked instead of assumed. We all know what assuming does, and if you don't, I'm not allowed to say it unless I'm talking King James Version. But the, the, whole, the whole thing here is, is that, that we get this tendency to jump in, and we have a rejection that takes place. We are designed to be accepted. 
we naturally will go towards groups that will accept us. Naturally go towards groups where that connection takes place. And that five-step process of connection, then caution, and then consistency takes place. And that's why we have connection groups, because there's different groups of people in this church. And as those different groups of people get together, they're able to connect, and they're going to be accepted. Now, what happens within that group if people start to have a fight? And suspicion starts to grow. This person's trying to do this, and this person's trying to do this. And there's this big thing. You know how many churches are First Baptist Church and Second Baptist Church because of that exact same thing? How many church plants are out there because they had to leave because somebody didn't go along with somebody else? We're designed, and God says, through Paul, we need to protect it at all costs. We need to endure at all costs. We need to bend like love bends. We need to always trust. And that's hard. It's hard to tell somebody, I want to trust you. But how much better is it for the relationship? How much better is it for the relationship? You have the power to choose what goes in that gap. The gap between expectation and experience. You have the power to go fill that in. And the thing is, I've never heard anybody say, you know, in my relationship, he did this, and I just let him have it. And our relationship, it just, just soared. It got so much more romantic. Everything was awesome. That, that, that's never been the case. Uh, you, you, you can't hear somebody say, well, I didn't exactly believe the best. As a matter of fact, I just assumed they did this, and work was so tense, and we just had it out, and you know what? Everything's great. It got so much better after that. Because I hated him, and he hated me, and it was all good, and we got all good, and everything. You know, that, that wasn't the way it is. It's about assuming and believing the best. And Paul says, look, I know it's extreme, but it's extremely practical to do this even in the most difficult relationships that you have. But what happens when you can't? What happens you say, Matt, I've done it over and over and over and over again. And it just gets harder and it gets worse. It's just consistently a bigger and bigger gap. I've tried what you said. I've tried to assume the best. I've tried to walk through that. The thing is, is this. When you can't choose to trust, you have to choose to confront. You have to choose to confront. You know, uh, Jesus, he taught in parables. He taught that, that life was going to happen. And this is how you kind of respond to different things that happen in life. Very rarely did he go, this is what you do. Step one, step two, step three. But you know, one of the areas he did do step one, step two, step three is found in Matthew 18. And in Matthew 18, he tells us how to confront somebody and how to go through the process of making it happen. Because why? Why would he say that? Because it's a natural part of relationships. There's going to be times where we have to confront. When you cannot trust anymore, you have to confront and you have to take that step. Because when you confront, healing will take place and that gap will begin to close, if not close all the way. As long as that confrontation is done the right way, like the way Jesus did. The problem is we don't tend to confront. You know what we can tend to do? We gossip. We don't talk to the person. We talk about the person. And we talk to other people, and generally when we talk to other people, who are we going to talk to? People who are going to correct us or people who are going to accept us and tell us and fuel our fire? How many times have things gotten way blown up proportion because you're talking to the wrong person? Because they're not challenging to do what's right. They're just challenging to do what you feel is right. Big difference between two, by the way. And we see this play out. We don't confront, and we gossip. And we, we, instead of trying to push through, we are trying to catch them in a lie. And that confrontation becomes bad. But here's some good news. Because you might say, I'm not a confronter. Neither am I. I don't like to confront people. As a matter of fact, there's only 5% of the entire world's population that likes to confront people. Maybe you've met one of those people. They like it. Yay, confrontation. Not my strong suit. I I don't like it. I don't like to, to have to step out there. But it is necessary And you have to have it. And when you're not good at it, it's actually better because then you're not trying to fight to win. You're trying to fight to resolve. You're confronting to fill the gap. 
And when we hold it in, how many times have you held it in and you were fake to that person? As if nothing was really wrong, but inside everything was really wrong. And to the finally to the point where they kept doing the same thing, whether it be the way they smack their gum, I don't care what it is, you know, when they're, you're like, hey, you're not a cow, all right? And, uh, and there's, there's different things that take place in our lives, and we get to the point where we're just like, oh, I'm just going to blow up, and I'm going to boil over. And it could have easily been resolved if somebody had just said, hey, if you could do me a favor and not chew your gum like that, it'd be a bonus for me, okay? Something just as simple as that. But when you act like everything's okay, finally it just gets to that point, and then you've assumed, and all of a sudden everything's a mess. But that's what confrontation is. So we see this trust, and we see that we have to fill this gap. And in the process of filling that gap, if we can't fill it, then we need to confront. And we need to, to move forward so that relationship can be repaired. Because that's what it all is based on. And I want you, when you walk out of here, to do more than just hear this. Because I have a feeling every single person in here is struggling with this. In some relationship, somewhere, they're doing it. Now, how many of you guys have a smartphone? Show me your smartphone, just real fast. Go ahead and show it to me. If you, if you unlock it and do all the stuff that's on there, and you, you see all the things that are on there, what are those little boxes that are all over that? What are those? Apps. What's app short for? application, that's right. And when you get an application for your phone, what's the purpose of it? To use it. That's right. Yeah, you don't just want to fill up your phone with stuff and be like, I don't know what this is for. I just put it on there because it had a cool picture. To look. I just wanted to fill it up and make myself look important. That, that's, that's not the way we approach it. If you're into dieting and there's a dieting app that you get, if you get it and it's a calorie counter and you hit it and you're like, oh, this is going to make everything better. But you never use it? It's not going to make everything better. If you're into working out, they have workout apps. Same thing. I mean, every app on your phone has a purpose for you to apply it to your life, whether that be a game or a, a very specific thing. Today, we have a very important application that we need to put into practice. I'm not saying that because I'm saying it. I'm saying it because God has told us that from way back when Paul wrote it in 1 Corinthians. We need to apply this. It will make our relationships better. And when our relationships and our trust is better, we will work together for the common goal. And we will see this world changed. How huge would that be to actually say, we're a part of what God is doing. He has called us to do this, and we are answering that call. How awesome is that? So there's five things. If you want to write these down, if you want, since you have your phones out already, put this in your little notepad here, okay? There's five things that I want you to do, five commitments that I want you to make, five things that, that you can hold on to. And that's number one is this. When there is a gap between what I expect and what I experienced, I'm going to believe the best. I want you to do that. And I'm telling you, I have to do it too. I'm not just telling you to do it, and then me, I get to go take it out on somebody later. I need to do the same thing. Number two, when other people assume the worst about you, I will come to your defense. When other people assume the worst about you, I'll come to your defense. How easy is it to throw somebody under the bus versus actually defend them? Third thing we need to do, third commitment. If what I experience begins to erode my trust, I'll come directly to you. Not, I'll go to your friend and ask them, what's wrong with you? Not, I'm going to talk to some friends and figure out if we should pray about it or not. I'm going to come directly to you, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk it out. Fourth one, when I'm convinced I will not be able to deliver on a promise, when I know I said I'd be home at 8 o'clock and I'm really going to be home at 10 o'clock, I will tell you ahead of time, not at 9 o'clock. I will tell you ahead of time, when I realize I'm getting ready to create a gap, my commitment to you is to tell you ahead of time. And the fifth one, the last commitment is this. When you confront me about the gaps I've created, I will tell you the truth. I know that's a crazy thought. Once again, that whole truth thing gets a little tweaked and twisted. What's the truth? Well, the truth is the truth. You know what the truth is. I think it'll change everything if we approach our relationships with these five things. 
If you apply these five things, it'll change everything. If trust is the foundation of any relationship, it'll change that relationship. And guess what? If trust isn't the foundation, it will also change the relationship. So how you apply these will change the way that you are and the way you are towards other people. It can happen, excuse me, it can happen at home. It can happen here at church. It can happen with God. Because as I wrote those out, as I read through those and went, oh yeah, these are five things we really need to hold on to. I said, can I do that with God? Can I ask those same five things from God? Can I say, when there's a gap between what I expect and what I experience, I'm going to believe the best. I'm going to trust you, God, that you know what's going on. Even though I don't quite have that in my plans, I can trust you and I can follow you in that. Maybe you're questioning God in some way. Number two, when other people assume the worst about you, God, I will come to your defense. How many times when somebody's bagging on God or bagging on Christianity do we shrivel back because we don't want to get bagged on too? Third decision. If what I experience begins to erode my trust in you, God, I'll come directly to you. I'm going to get on my knees before you, God, and I'm just going to ask you straight up, what in the world is going on? What are you doing? What are you trying to teach me? God, lead me because right now I'm having a really hard time trusting. I sang the song Oceans that said, trust without borders. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders, where my faith will not wander, that I'll follow you where you call me. I've sang the song, but now I actually want to apply it. How do I do that, God? I'll come directly to you. Fourth one, when I'm convinced that I won't be able to deliver on a promise. How many promises have you broken to God? Yeah. <laughs> Let's make a list. Um, I'll tell you ahead of time. God, I'm really struggling with this. I, I, I'm having some real issues here. And lay it out there before him. Because my guess is if you do that, man, there's going to be an amazing amount of strength that's going to come your way that he's going to put into you to help you deliver on that promise. Last one, when you confront me about the gaps I've created, when God says, hey, it's time for me to confront you. This has gone on long enough. I'll tell you the truth. I'll be honest with myself. I'll lay myself out there and say, God, you're right. Now, that whole idea of trust, spirit, lead me, where my trust is without borders. It's a, it's a huge, huge word, trust. And asking God to to lead you, whereas your trust is without borders, which means I'm not going to put God in a box and I'm only going to trust you when you do it my way. That's big. I'm going to ask Jerome and the, the band to come up here because we're going we're to sing a song that it fits. It fits as, as we look at it because we can trust him when we come up against walls. We can trust him when we come up against opposition. And, and it's, it's always... You can always trust God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And Jerome actually said, hey, we're going to sing a new song. And he told me that this week. And I'm like, well, I really wanted to end with oceans because that's where my message was going. He's like, I'm the worship leader. Get away. All right? <laughs> Stop micromanaging me. And I'm like, all right, we're all good. And so he's like, hey, we're going to sing this song called Always. And I'm like, hey, we're talking about always. How awesome is that? Because we're always supposed to trust and we're always supposed to persevere. We're always supposed to have hope in that relationship as we move forward, as we love. And it goes in our relationship with God and every relationship on down from there. So as we stand and sing this song, I want you to think about it. And maybe you're just going to need to listen because maybe you've never heard this song before. And you need to hear when the fear comes. I won't fear because I trust you. When the opposition comes, I won't fear because I trust you. And I trust in you always because you always come through because you're God and I'm not. This is about you. It's not about me. And we look at our relationships, we see the same thing from what we're talking with God to and what we're talking to our spouse with and the same thing we're talking to our coworkers with and the same thing we're talking with the people here at church with. It's about trust. That trust is the foundation of it all. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, maybe you're struggling with that relationship with God. You're saying, I, I, hmm. He and I, he hasn't come through. He's done some things in my life. You know how many people I talk to like that? How many people I talk to that say, uh, you know, 
I went to church, but God allowed this to happen. I went to church, but people in the church did this to me, and I blamed God. That's a, that's a pretty, pretty powerful thing. My guess is you have friends like that. Matter of fact, I talked to a lady today that said, hey, do you guys have your, uh, your messages on your website? I said, yeah, we do. Why? She goes, well, I don't really want to come into your church until I can trust what you have to say. Well, I guess that makes sense. Church shopping like that, that's, that's cool. I, I understand that completely. I said, what, what's wrong with the other one? She's like, well, you know, there's just these people that are hurting me, and I, you know, I'm just blaming God. And I'm like, it's not God's fault. People are people. People are stupid. That's just the, the reality. I'm people, just to let you know. I'm going to do things that are going to hurt you. I'm going to say dumb things. We have to not fill in that gap with suspicion, but instead fill it in with what's best. Be very generous about that. So maybe, like I said, you're struggling with who God is and what God is and what he's doing. I would love to pray with you. So I'll be honest with you, there's many a morning I wake up going, God, what are you doing today? And why are you doing it like this? Because I have such a better plan than you do. He says, hey, trust in me. Lean not on your understanding. I want to pray with you if you're struggling with that. So let's pray together. I'm going to turn it over to Jerome, and then uh, as we stand and sing, if you need to pray with me, I would love to. God, you're good. We're thankful for it. And way too often I start my prayers out with those very words. And sometimes they're just a pat way to start. But it's true, you are good. Even when I don't understand what you're doing, you're still good. Even when I don't understand why you're doing it, you're still good. Even though when your plans and my plans don't mesh, you're still good. God, help us as we move forward as a church, as families, as spouses, as individuals, as, as, a, as a country. That God, we are moving forward in you. That our trust first begins with you and it all flows down from there. God, if you're speaking to hearts today, I pray that anybody who's never trusted in you for their salvation, trusted in you with their life, trusted in you because you are good and they are not. God, I pray today's the day to do that. I pray it all in your name. Amen.